Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Happy Monday morning, evening, good night, good morning, good afternoon. Whenever you're joining us, it's Monday morning where we're at, uh, and it is January 4th. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, joined by my confidant in blogging and podcasting, the godfather of UD basketball blogging himself, Blackburn. And we're coming to you on a special Monday morning because the Flyers have a quick turnaround. So fresh off their 74-65 win against George Mason, they are turning the page uh, as soon as Tuesday and early Tuesday evening. They will be taking a trip to Fordham to take on the Fordham Rams, the cellar dwellers of the A-10 that we know and do not love so much. Blackburn, let's start the evening off uh, with the game that was and the Flyers getting to one and one in conference play, beating a very mediocre to poor George Mason team. They made it look difficult. Uh, they probably should have won that game by 15. I think we've said that by about just about every game the Flyers have played this season. This one was no different. And the only reason the Flyers covered the spread, which was an immaculate cover, was that the George Mason coach, Dave Paulson, uh, was pissing his pants a little bit. I, what did you see on that last little bit where Paulson just kind of absolutely lost it and cost his team four points? I couldn't figure out what he, he was upset about because if you go back and look at that last two minutes, it's not like UD was uh, being overly aggressive or going over the back or committing fouls or anything. The only thing I can come up with is that he was frustrated at his own team's lack of execution. <laughs> That's the only thing I could figure out. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. To me, it, he's, he kind of felt like a broken man where he's like, all right, the ship's going down, but I'm not going to go down without a fight. Yeah, That's kind of what it struck me as, you know? Well, what? yeah, was it a message to his kids in a sense that this is how pissed off I am that I'm going to get myself kicked out of the game? Or was it a message to like the refs where like, you guys ref such a poor game and took this game away from the kids. I, I, I didn't see that at all. I mean, I thought it was a well-refereed game. There wasn't a lot of controversy the first 38 minutes. And I, I Anthony Grant's not the kind of guy to be talking shit across the court. Um, so I, for the life of me, I, cannot, I couldn't figure out what his, what his deal was. I was like, what's no, your deal, man? There were some people on Mason Twitter that said, oh, you know, that call didn't go their way. And but what to call? be honest... Yeah, but here's the thing. I didn't really get into the mud with those types of people because, frankly, that doesn't matter. And and here's what I mean by that. And I'm glad that we started here tonight because I, I did get a little bit of pushback from a couple of people that wanted to discuss this issue. But mm. you're coming down the stretch. 
Dayton was up by four at that point, I believe. Yes. And Dave Paulson took two technical fouls back to back. Now, regardless of what the call was on the court, you are the coach. You're the leader. You're the only adult right there on the floor that gets to make decisions. You know, let's just call it what it is. All right. The coach gets tasked. You know, we we blame the coach for a million different things. All right. Regardless of what the call is, you cannot lose your shit like that and put your team in a position where they have to answer for your misdeeds, right? So that's why I really wasn't in, like, I really didn't want to get into it with people to discuss, you know, the severity of the call or how bad or how good it was. If you're the coach and there's your four point deficit and you're in the final two minutes, you just cannot get a technical on yourself to send the other team to the line to extend it. And look what happened. Dayton put him away because of those double techs. And I just think that's inexcusable. If I'm an AD at George Mason, that's probably enough that I've seen from Dave Paulson. He was already on the hot seat, but that'd be enough for me to say, you know what? We can just start fresh and move on from this guy. So you think it was an attempt by Paulson to show some like heart or some fire? <laughs> I, that's what I mean. I, I, I literally know. struck me as a guy who was like, I know I'm getting fired and the hell with it. I'm going to go down with the ship. And, you know, I do respect that fight in him. But again, I just really felt like it was poor decision making on his part to to make such a, you know, such a rash decision to yell at the referees in that position. It struck me as odd, man. Well, it was odd in the sense that, uh, you know, right before he got the first tech, Dayton took the timeout. I think I'm trying to remember this correctly. And then, which let uh, GMU set up something, anything, uh, on the offensive end after, I think Ibby missed a foul shot. I forget who it was. But they're down four, and like you said, they kind of dicked around with the ball. Uh, I think it was Kolek, right? Jimmy Chitwood. He just took like a 40-foot three-pointer that I, it was an air ball, and then the Mason kids fouled, and then he gets a technical. So like yeah. I said... The only thing I can take from that that play specifically is that the kids just didn't run the set or didn't execute the way he wanted, and that was his frustration getting out. And then the second one, I guess, which is even more so, it's kind of like, you know, we kind of had Dayton on the ropes because they did. Where they, they were up by six, I think. I think they got it by six or five yeah. or six, something like that. Um, and, yeah, they, I, I maybe they, he feels like they just let him off the hook and let, let a game get away. And like you said, that's the kind of game that, you know, even though Dayton isn't what it was last year, uh, it's still a, a big win in the conference, and it would at least give some indication that Mason was maybe sort of heading in the right direction. So maybe there was a personal frustration where it's like, you know what, if I got this W tonight, maybe it puts a little bit of the pressure off me. But um, yeah, <laughs> and then he just like sat in the in the, uh, in the hallway watching the game. Yeah, that was just the whole thing was just so <laughs> bizarre. And and again, the you know, for listeners who maybe had not caught last week's episode when we talked to the By George guys, those are all the things that they've said routinely about Paulson. It's not just the coaching on the court. Um, it, you know, it's not just antics, it's everything. And and I think that George Mason fans are just kind of done with him being a representative of the university. And, and, you know, I have to agree with him after seeing something like that, because I really just felt like that was such an embarrassing display from a coach who's supposed to be a leader. But putting that aside, um, you know, getting to the actual game that we watch, I hate to say it because it's going to be something that I think we're going to echo on this show over and over again. But 
it really was the same old Flyers on Saturday. Uh, they got up by, I believe, 16, sorry, 18. They got 32-14, and I immediately tweeted, no lead is safe while Dayton continues to turn the ball over the way that they do. Now, they did get the turnovers cleaned up a little bit. You know, they only turned the ball over 10 times, um, or sorry, 12 times, which, you know, should tell you something right there that I have to say they only turned the ball over 12 times. Um, but they got that cleaned up a little bit. The Flyers actually shot pretty well, um, but then it was the same story as LaSalle. They didn't defend the perimeter particularly well. They allowed them to get hot, and people started to tell me things like, well, you know, we've seen two games now where teams have gotten hot. Maybe it's not just the luck of the draw teams getting hot, and I have to say that I agree because when you're giving teams open looks consistently, it's no longer them getting hot. It's you playing poor defense. So let's uh, let's go there for now, Blackburn. You know, the game that I saw on Saturday was kind of the same old Flyers. I can't say I was surprised, but what I will say, and I have to come on my show and do this, is that I called out Jalen Crutcher in a very big way before this Ooh. game, and I said that you know he wasn't a leader, he wasn't being uh, aggressive enough, and Rackle. and then you know to p- pile on. I said that he should probably just stay off Twitter after a loss and let's not talk a little bit of crap to the fans. You know, and the sentiment was, oh, you're not a real fan if you're not with us after a loss. And that's obviously a load of crap. Like every fan out there is going to be critical and upset after a loss and saying those things, being critical, having an opinion is certainly nothing worth scorn. So have to come on today and say absolutely phenomenal game by Crutcher. And this is exactly why I've been so overly critical of him. That's why I've come on this show routinely and said, he has to be the leader. He has to be the man. He has to be aggressive and the ball has to be in his hands all the time. He did that against George Mason and look what you got a 142 offensive rating. He was the player of the game, 26 points. He was six for seven from two, three for seven from three, five for six from the line. A lot of that was the technical foul down the stretch. And then he contributed seven assists to go along. I mean, this was everything that Jalen Crutcher can be for us. And I will not apologize for being critical of him. Ryan Mikesell, who's going to be on the show Tuesday, even came on Twitter. I'm not going to say he defended me. I won't speak for Chip like that. But he said, you know what? I'll be next in line to criticize Crutcher if it leads to these types of performances. And I couldn't agree more. This is who Jalen Crutcher has to be. Blackburn, agree or disagree? Well, I think it, it obviously I agree with you. Um, you, you know, it's weird. It, it's when Chapman couldn't go. I think we all had the realization that, you know, that means Crutcher's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more tonight. And which he should it, all the time anyway. Right, which which leads me to that next question where if you're the coaching staff, uh, are you kind of reevaluating the way this offense runs? You, you see the way it runs when Crutcher is the primary ball handler, uh, and you know the way it runs when Crutcher is the primary guy. So, it, you know, it, we don't know anything about Chad, uh, uh, how, how long Ronnie's out, correct? It just, he hurt his no. hand and... Yeah, I don't know anything right now. I would not expect to see him against Fordham, but that's because you're playing Fordham. Get get some guys rest, you know? Yeah. It's the most get right game uh, that you could possibly have. Yeah. Crusher yeah. uh, doesn't even need to play. We'll still be Fordham. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like before the, the Mason game. And again, we have to hold this all in the context of the fact that this, although it was a victory and we're, we're happy that uh, Dayton finally got 
uh, uh, A10 win on the board. It is still a very bad George Mason team. Yeah, it's a hollow win. Like, so let's yeah, we can't glaze over that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There, there is that. uh, I, I always used to joke, um every year about how whenever Dayton gets a win, no, no matter who it is in the A-10, people are like, all right, here we go. The train's running. Let's Wheels go. are greased. <laughs> it's all ready to go. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I said uh, on Twitter, I was like, I at halftime, Dayton's up nine and things were looking good. And Crutcher was playing phenomenal. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna make a quick phone call. Uh, you know, maybe I come back into the game when there's 10 minutes left and UD's up 20 or whatever. And then so I get off my call. Uh, I, I unmute the TV and all of a sudden Mason's up one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what in the goddamn? And I look at the box score and yeah, like the Tyler Kolek had like nine points. So I'm like, oh, he must've yeah. went off. Yeah. Um, the white guy always does it to us. Has been yeah. for years. That's like, that's written in the Dayton Bible. It is. And you know, they have Mason has decent perimeter shooting, but it comes in bunches. Like Javon green can go over 10 or he, he can do what he did in the second half where he starts nailing, corner threes in people's eyes, you know, it's yeah. just like, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the game was a lot closer than it probably should have been. And I, that, that there is of course the caveat that we had, you know, Dayton had some guys uh, opt out physically and um, but yeah, like I, the crutcher performance, I mean, he, he did it with ease. Um, he was just on fire and it, it just felt like, I think you said in the pod one or two podcasts ago, it's almost as if, once he has that realization that I can take anybody on this floor, um, it's game over. And, you know, he puts up a career high 26, they get the W, but yeah, like I'm thinking going forward, you know, the best way to utilize Crutcher. So, but it's also, you got to fit Chatton back into the, into the, the, the rotation, you know? So it's like, and that's a good thing that we still got 16 games because this is not an at-large NCAA tournament team. No, but unfortunately the, not. The next 16 games, it's kind of like a work in progress and you can kind of experiment a little. Um, I would like to see Ibby Watson and Jalen Crutcher not play 40 minutes a game uh, for the next two months. But, I mean, it is what it is. If you're barely beating Mason, they're going to have to stay in there. Um, And, you know, this is the first time I really uh, had the chance to speak about Moose. And, I mean, my God, man, like, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. And it's like... (laughs) This this gift from Finland. I mean, where did this kid come from? <laughs> it's just the most. It's just like it's like some blue chips too shit. It's just like who do like what? Who what is going on with this? And guy? the best the best part about that guy, he's like, I don't know how old he is, what he's race 20, he is. He's Twenty years old. I, I don't know what he is. He he could be anything. You could tell <laughs> me that guy is anything, and I believe it. But it's just like from parts unknown. I know we're saying Finland, but he's from parts unknown. I don't know where this guy came from, but. <laughs> Here's the thing, even if you're he's obviously a baller, but take it a step further. This is a guy who just walked onto the practice floor like last week. And I mean, have you ever he's seen a guy with buckets? Yeah, and he the quickest trigger I've ever seen. Yeah. He, like for real. Like uh, the man doesn't know doesn't know what a pump fake is. He, Bobby, <laughs> Knight, Bobby Knight would absolutely hate this kid because it's like he's already in the shooting motion before he catches it. It's incredible. 
and it's good. I mean, the, the kid can obviously hit the hit the you know knock the the, the long range shots down. But yeah, I'm just I'm loving the kids the set of balls on his kid because he's coming out firing. It's great. He, he absolutely has. I mean, um, I said this um, on Twitter this past week. But number one, how bad would Dayton be without him showing up off the street when Chase Johnson said that he's leaving school? I mean, we oh. would be deplorable. Like he he chipped in 37 points the last two nights. That's in a two-point loss and a nine-point win. It stands to reason that we get blown <laughs> out by LaSalle and probably lose to George Mason when Chase Johnson says that he's not coming back to school and Rodney Chapman has an injury. So, like you said, absolute gift from God. But holy smokes, this kid comes in. He's got a soft touch around the bucket. He's ready to shoot all the time. I mean, it, there wasn't like a I'm nervous because I'm in my first collegiate game type of hesitancy, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But here we are. I mean, the first two games, I'm looking at his stats right now. He's 11 for 17 from two-point range. He's four for 10 from three. Um, he's not turning the ball over frequently or anything like that. He's getting rebounds. He's getting productive assists. He's I mean, steals. I, 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 so the where I wanted to end this was that I can't ever remember, nor do I think this will ever happen again, where a freshman comes in and gives us this kind of immediate production. I just, I can't wrap my head around this ever happening again. This is this is kind of like the rarity of Obi Toppin's rise mm-hmm. um, with things you just don't see. I mean, you don't see it in, in the Big Ten, the A-10. I mean, you don't see it anywhere. I mean, it's one thing for a freshman to come in and give you 10 points a night. It's quite another for a guy to drop 22 and then 15 and and be productive in every single phase of the game, right? Well, think about this. This is how either impressed Anthony Grant and the staff was with Moose or how, you know, call it game ready, whatever. Correct me if I'm wrong. He started the first game uh, against LaSalle, correct? Yeah, they put him right in the line. I mean, they rolled him right out. And then yep. they're like, hey, hey, kid, you're going 35 minutes against Mason the next you night. You played 36 minutes and 35 yeah. minutes. So, I mean, like, like you, you got said, no choice. That's, that's incredible in, in a sense because you have all these guys that have been with the program for over a year and been practicing. And, um, you know, Zimmy played, you know, Zimmy made a couple decent plays against Mason. He had a big three in the second half. Yeah, uh, not for nothing. He actually kind of started to be a productive piece in the lineup. For yeah, sure. and he, and you know he he's active around the basket. He grabbed a couple boards, but yeah, Zimmy has that kind of I don't know really what I'm doing yet kind of energy out there. Whereas Moose looks like he belonged on day one. I mean, like you said, it, there's no he came in almost like a, as the finished product as yeah. a freshman, and that's yeah. the thing. I, I I was telling a friend of mine, I'm like. You know, I don't want to already skip ahead that next year because that's kind of like a loser's lament. You know what I mean? Kind of throw away the whole season and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I'm like, at the very least, because, you know, there's a lot of hype about the recruiting class coming in. Uh, and that's fine and dandy, but they are freshmen. And you don't know what to expect from those guys. But I'm like, at least with with White Death, we, we know what we know what we're getting for the next three years. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty amazing. It, you know, it's nice, and and that's obviously something that I got from a lot of people online after the LaSalle win was, you know, my sentiment after the LaSalle win and the reason I was so critical, I was so pissed off. And I mean, you know, you, you heard me like I was, I was heated up. Like, <laughs> and the reason the reason I get so heated up was, um, you know, it's not so much the players. It's just holistically, 
I feel like we should be past this point as our program. And and honestly, it comes from a lot of the stuff that people feed me. Like, oh, we're going to be the Gonzaga of the Midwest. How no, many times do you think no, Gonzaga no, no. has lost to Pacific over the last 20 years? Like, it doesn't happen. But I here we know. are, Dayton, like, we constantly lose games like LaSalle. And granted, we've been able to avoid losing most of those games at home over the years. But I look at this game and I'm like, first loss to LaSalle at home since 1999. I really did think we were past this point as a program where we had to sweat out these losses or sweat out these wins or games in general. But no, here we are. It's like we are still capable of losing that absolute stinker to LaSalle. And so, you know, people want to say, oh, there's reasons to be optimistic. And is there? Absolutely, there's reasons to be optimistic. We had the best recruiting class ever, right? Um, You know, like you said, Amsel comes in. He's absolutely dynamite in the first two games. With him, a fresh recruiting class, Dwayne Cohill's coming back next year. Of course, there's reasons to be optimistic about the program moving forward. But, you know, I'm the radio guy. I'm in the here and now, people. And, like, the here and now is losing to LaSalle is fucking unacceptable. You know, and I'm sorry that people, like, really get pissed off about that. A lot of people don't like to hear me swear, which I still can't get my head around. It's like, okay, um, you know, this isn't Christian radio. Like, we're, we're talking about, you know, basketball here. We can be animated. Uh, but I just... Okay, there's reasons to be optimistic, but right now I'm very concerned with like the rest of the season. Number one and number two, I do feel for Jalen Crutcher a little bit because let's be honest, you know we're kind of playing for three days in Brooklyn right now, and I had I had ho- I had hoped and I had thought that this season was going to be a little bit more meaningful because he was coming back for one final go round, and um, you know let me let me ask you this, Blackburn, before Chase Johnson left school. Didn't you have a thought in your head after that old Miss game where you're like, all right, maybe we have enough pieces to get into the at-large discussion? Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, I think we we discussed that. After old Miss, I, I was actually kind of flipping to, toward your side and saying, you know it what? It kind of the, felt the, like we were going in the right direction this season, you know? Yeah, it felt like the, the, the parts were moving in all the right direction and there was a foundation. And, um, you know, to, to be quite honest, the, the A-10 is that bad this year where I felt like, you know what? Dayton doesn't have to have its A-plus game every night to, to win 15 games in this league. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> LaSalle changed all that real quick. I mean... Yeah, LaSalle changed everything. And that's why I was so mad. Like, it's it's not like, okay, it's one game. But what, what do people not understand about the urgency of this season? That one game ruined our whole season. Like, we cannot afford a 150 loss LaSalle. We just can't. It, our conference sucks. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, and I mean we got to look at the big picture where, and, and we've always discussed, I mean, we discussed this since the, the Brian Gregory days where you want to keep that program momentum, right? You want to stay in the limelight. Yep. You want to go to the tournament. Um, even if that means you're, you're the last team in the field, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You, doesn't you just want to see your name on selection Sunday. You want to see it on TV. Um, and yeah, like you see a lot of people saying that on social media where it's like, especially at the LaSalle loss, you know, people are going to look at Dayton now as that kind of one one hit wonder. They're not a real program. It was a fluke, this, that, or the other. And look, they have every right to think that. You know, like a lot of people were introduced to to Dayton last year for the first time ever. Um, and yeah, there probably are some curious people who are like, you know, I wonder how Dayton's doing this year. And then they, you know, they see the loss to LaSalle and you're one on one in the A10. And, and a lot of that momentum kind of dissipates and you're kind of back to square one. And that's that's the fear, of course, of not making the dance this year too, right? It's like we didn't 
we made yes, we made in spirit. We made the NCAA tournament last year in spirit, but it's not in the record books. It it doesn't count um, when it's all said and done. So you're you're kind of looking at a situation where it's like we haven't been to the tournament since since Anthony Grant got here. Yep. Uh, I, that's the reality. I mean, that's that's just literally what it is. I I know last year we would have been in the tournament, would have been a one seed, all that sh- all that shit. But the reality is, it just hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen Jalen Croucher play an NCAA tournament game. You know, it just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it sucks. Uh, it really does. It, it's really unfortunate that they didn't get that opportunity because who knows? You know, we we, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about because we don't want to. But we'll always have to do the what what a what if in twenty twenty. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's why I got so upset about it, you know, number one. And then number two, I went into this season kind of believing in this group to the point where, you know me, pretty much at every turn, I was like, I know we lost Obi. I know we lost Chip and Trey, but we have enough pieces. I think these guys are capable. And then, you know, for better or for worse, they kind of proved me right in the first five games there. Like, you know, they they had they did some good things. They did some bad things. They were winning despite their turnover deficit. They were winning despite their rebounding. But, you know, then you lose to LaSalle. And what I had feared happening actually happened where people outside our bubble can look at it and go, eh, OB and uh, their core loss. So, you know, they're they're crap now. You know, and you have that justification when you lose to a team like LaSalle. Like, oh, look, of course they lost LaSalle. They lost Obi Toppin. You know, and it gives people kind of that credence to say those things. But I guess it it is time we turn the page. Um, You know, Dayton did get a great win. I'm not going to sit here and lament about the season. I am just a little bit pissed off that, you know, we kind of do have to have these conversations of, you know, at large is probably out of reach. But. Like you said, Tuesday, the ultimate get right game, uh, early tip off at Fordham Flyers and the, the Bronx Rams are tipping off at 6 p.m. Eastern uh, on Tuesday evening. Like I said, from Rose Hill, Blackburn, you've been to Rose Hill gym before. Set the scene. What, like, I've never been there, so I always like hearing from people that have been. Sully, it's a sacred place. It's it's a cathedral <laughs> of college basketball. Um, <laughs> Couldn't yeah, even I mean, get halfway into that. <laughs> You know what it is, though? It's like uh, it is charming because it, it is how, you know, college hoops used to be played back in like the 40s and 50s. You know, they, these weren't uh, arenas like we have now. Um, so there is some charm to it. But, yeah, it's it is kind of embarrassing to watch a game there because you're aligned for better or for worse with this program that has substandard facilities. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't help the program. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like, for instance, when I grew up as, as a wee lad, like I would go watch my dad went to Manhattan College and their big rival was Fordham. This is back when they played in the Metro Atlantic. Yeah, for and, sure. You know, Drady Gymnasium where Manhattan plays. It's kind of that same thing. This little like, you know, bleachers on both sides. That's um, what the whole Metro Atlantic is, though. You know, right. St. Peter's, Iona, like Maris, right. that's what they all are. So I had a I had a, a, a very uh, kind of educated understanding of what Fordham was and what it is and what it could be. And so, yeah, when, when Fordham was, was picked to, to play in the eight ten, I was very confused because I didn't know what they offered outside of being a school in New York city. Um, but it's not like here we know, are 25 years later, still asking that question. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there's, and the Fordham people will tell you that too. I mean, obviously their, their, their heyday is way behind them and there's really no going forward in the A-10. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, there yeah. once, you know, I know people keep on talking about conference realignment coming in the future, 
and we'll see how you know how realistic that is. But um, yeah, I mean Fordham, no, and no offense to them, it's a great school. I think it's like I think the latest rankings had them as the the top academic school in the A10. They I got a lot going. True, yeah, right. Yeah. They got a lot going for them. It's not like I said. I don't want to shit on Fordham uh, outside of anything but their basketball program. It's it's just kind of you know they, they it's almost impossible to go in there and win at that at this point. The the only solution, honest to God, would have been and this would have been the hire they should have made is if they got Patino at Fordham. That would have been the only yeah. hire that could have given given them a little bit of a push. Maybe Patino could bring in a couple, three stars, four stars, whatever, and get that that program going. But it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, it's just not going to happen. So I, I don't know. Like, um, yeah, it, it's an odd thing because we always talk about the landmines in the A10. And, I mean, you look up the definition and it's Fordham, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. literally, we, we are still talking about uh, VCU losing to Fordham like five years later. Like, yeah. literally, like that was an entire different coaching staff and recruiting class. Like those guys like have kids and are married and like, uh, you know, are in debt up their eyeballs. And we're still talking about VCU lost to Fordham. Yeah. So it I is mean, this weird thing where like, it's just the death kneel. You lose to Fordham, <laughs> just pack it in. And like Donnie and I, and I think we started saying it too. One, if Dayton ever loses to Fordham, we should have a gentleman's agreement just to shut everything down. Yeah, shut down the site. Shut down the podcast. Because where do you go from there? Wait, you know wait, it's all four. Yeah, because then every time you have a podcast, you got to go, well, you know, Dayton just won you know, their fifth straight game, uh, blah, 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 blah. But then at the end, you're going to go, you know what? There is that loss of four them, though. I think that might <laughs> that might hurt them come March. <laughs> I think it's going to come back to bite them you know, down yeah, the stretch. That, that might be listed as a bad loss come Selection Sunday. Um, and here, here's the other thing that I, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll put this, um, this transition into trivia tonight. Um, and before we do get to Blackburn, I mean, like you, you've been around a little bit longer than I have in this scene and you know, the New York scene better than I do, but I went to great lengths last year to kind of explain to people that don't know the situation, like how Fordham ended up in the A-10 and then ultimately like why it hasn't worked out for them. And let's be honest, there's been a number of different reasons. Like Fordham has the money, which is the kind of the wildest thing. Like they're one of the richest schools in the conference, right? Yeah. But they just kind of like kept making bad hires. And here we are now. They've only had two seasons in their 26 years, 25 years in the A-10 where they've even gone above 500. You know, let alone, they've never been competitive. But this is what we're talking about, go over 500. So you you read my piece, and I remember you're rarely impressed with things that I do. And you had said, <laughs> you said in the group chat that that I spent an inordinate amount of time dumping on Fordham. But to be honest with you, I just kind of wanted to be factual with Dayton, the younger audience at Dayton that might not have known like why this has come to be. Right. Um, so could you succinctly like summarize like how this situation came to be, and then you know why it's never worked out for Fordham here? Well, I think uh, from my my point of view, and this is yeah, just my opinion. I think a huge problem Fordham had, and I think a lot of, a lot of northeastern schools had, is the emergence of AU and prep schools. Um, you know, without and social and any internet back yeah. in the day, you you know, New York City basketball, high school basketball was it. You can go into St. Raymond's or Tallentine or Malloy. Um, any of those schools, and you can get the six, you know, the first guy off the bench, and he could be a stud player at your at your college. And yeah. maybe maybe the guy at UCLA, you know, the coach at UCLA didn't know that, or the coach at Kansas, or, or whomever. 
but those local guys knew, you know, you had the diamonds in a rough. Uh, and you've seen Fordham get a couple local kids. I mean, was it Eric Pashal? Right. Yeah. I mean, that was a kid under-recruited, uh, New York City kid that they were able to get. But for me, that's a, that was such a huge part is that New York City kids, they now the good ones are going to prep schools all over the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, look at Obi. I mean, G. Smith. I mean, you're that's what I'm saying. Eight. Exactly. And th- these kids that would have would have stayed kind of as local products now are going to the prep schools and the AAU circuit. Obviously, they're traveling all over the country now. So if you're a coach on, on the West Coast, you can see a New York City kid as much as Fordham can. Um, so, I mean, it, that that's seriously that, that for me, that is like the biggest issue facing a school like Fordham is that you, you had this great recruiting base where you were so tied into the local scene and all you needed to do really was go watch basketball in Queens, Bronx and, and Brooklyn and snag three or four kids from some of these feeder programs and you'd be all right. But now everyone's getting them and the kids that are good are leaving New York and they're going to, you know, Oak Hill or some of those schools in Connecticut or, you know, IMG out to Vegas. I mean, it, they just don't stay home anymore. So for me, that that's the biggest change I saw because you used to be able to follow recruiting in New York City. New York Post would have articles and it would be all local guys, you know, St. John's, all local kids, Fordham, all local kids, Iona, all local kids. Mm-hmm. And now you look at these rosters and they're, they're from all over the place. You know, it's so the recruiting, the recruiting game changed and it really hurt a school like Fordham, specifically in New York. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that, what that's, I think is the biggest the biggest issue they, they faced over the past 20 years. Yeah, and that's indicative of college basketball, right? Like right, that's right. just kind of how the system is. There's more transfers now. You can go get anybody at, at anywhere. And Dayton's a perfect example. I mean, Archie tried like hell to recruit the Midwest forever. And then he was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to go get transfers. I'm going to get kids from Chicago and New York. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what can. he did. Because he did. I mean, look, you know, and Anthony I mean, Grant now, where does he recruit? Yep. Florida, Southeast, Dominican Finland. Republic, Finland? Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean uh, where was uh... – uh, Sabota. I mean, was he from uh, Serbia or something? I mean, yeah, we, we try we try to gloss over that one. Well, I'm just <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying he he's a guy that you know you you could never recruit a kid like that to Dayton back in the 90s and 80s. It just would not be possible. No. But now with with, with the the network and everybody tied in with you know social media and the internet and everything, like you can find these these guys from anywhere. Yep. You know what I mean? Anywhere. So it. it it really it affects the and look you can you live in Chicago think about the Paul what it used to be back in the eighties yeah you know you would get these local kids that you know maybe a lot of the bigger schools didn't have the budget or the time to go recruit the Chicago high school kids and DePaul would get those kids Illinois would get those kids now they're not yeah now they're going everywhere else everywhere exactly. right. So, yeah, you know, we're in year number 26 of Fordham in the A-10, like we said. They've only, like, it's, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I just, I get so mad about it because, like, the other piece of context, we're wrapping up the show tonight. Um, you know, thanks for joining us between the George Mason and Fordham games here. Um, as I was looking up the, the trivia for this evening, uh, I realized that um, we are recording this on the, uh, okay, I have to do the math very quickly, the 60... Eighth anniversary of Dayton and Fordham's first game. So it was January 3rd, 1953. I believe I got that right. 68 years. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I did. I did. Thank you. On the fly. Yeah, listeners. Yeah. That's why you come here for the good shit, right? That's okay. that Dayton degree at work. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, they're in year number 26. And um, 
if you haven't read my article, I, I can't imagine you're listening to this po- podcast when you didn't because it kind of made the rounds of A10 uh, fandom last year. But I kind of broke down like how Fordham got into the league and and then, you know, their struggles since they've gotten into the league. But they've only had two years over 500 in their entire existence. Um, it kind of looked like they were going to get things turned around in like 2007 ish. And then, you know, it didn't materialize and they haven't gone over 500 in conference since 2007. So. That leads me into my trivia question for the night. We're not going to bore you and break down the game. That is fruitless. Like we said, the task is very simple when you play Fordham is that you beat Fordham. It does not matter how. And then you get on the plane, you go home, and you turn the page. All right, trivia for the night. Hit the music. Blackburn, my trivia for you tonight is uh, fairly simple. And I think that I ask you this question every year, so I tried to make it a little bit more difficult. Uh game against Fordham on Tuesday will be their 38th meeting. So they have played 37 times. How many times has Dayton beat Fordham in those 37 times? And your bonus is, what is the largest margin of victory for the Flyers? And what is the largest margin of victory for the Bronx Rams? So 37 games. I'll say Dayton has won 29 of the 37. That is incorrect. Dayton has won 32 of wow. the 37 games. So it's 32 and 5 going in to Tuesday's tilt. Second part of the question. Largest deficit for the Rams, largest deficit for the Flyers. I'll say the, the Flyers probably won a game by like 34. Uh, that's probably the highest. I'll they say, have won a game by 34, correct? That's the highest? <laughs> no, Nailed it's it. the oh. second highest. <laughs> okay. And uh, right. so you're, you're close. You got the second highest on uh, January 23rd, 2013. Dayton beat Fordham by 45 points. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, Jesus Christ. That's bad. Uh, a, real, a real quick story about Fordham and Dayton. One year, they actually played the, the second half of a doubleheader in the garden, and I went to it, and I had I had money on the under. Uh, Fordham gets a – they were, literally, I think uh, one more point I think I, I would have uh, pushed. Fordham gets a steal late in the game, breakaway. Guy goes up for a layup. London Warren comes out from nowhere, blocks it, game over. So I will. <laughs> I, it was one of the more incredible wins. There's nothing better than being in a stadium in a game you bet on and have that kind of result where it's like literally came down to the last second. Oh, yeah. So I'm there, I'll always love London Warren for that hustle play. It was a meaningless. They were up by, you know, double digits. It meant nothing. But London Warren just was like, nope, not going to give up, up an easy layup. And I, I thank him for it. Uh, I'll say Fordham's biggest margin of victory. I'll say 14. Okay. So actually it is 10 points and this is kind of a wild stat out of the five games. They beat the flyers. They've won by 10 points, three of those times. And then they won by nine points once, but that is the largest, uh, margin, uh, of victory for the Bronx Rams. Uh, my one Florida or uh, Fordham story before I let you guys go um, was my freshman year. Actually, uh, this was the 2008, 2009 season. I don't know if you remember this game, but Fordham absolutely had Dayton on the ropes at home. And I don't remember exactly the, like the scenario that led to this. But what I do remember is that there were like five to eight seconds left on the clock and Dayton was down by one to Florida Fordham. I keep saying Florida Fordham at home. This is uh, Wednesday, January 14th, 2009. Okay. Rob Lowry takes the inbounds pass the length of the floor and drops in a layup and the flyers escaped 72, 71. 
Dayton was 15 and two at that time. And I remember like as a freshman at UD, I kind of had that like, you know, that like you got punched in the stomach, hunched over look as a fan, you know, that was kind of how I watched the last 10 seconds of that game, because I was like, are we seriously going to lose to effing Ford in my freshman year? Like it was going to be, the, you know, and, and, you know, funny enough, that season, that 2009 season, Dayton didn't lose a single game at home. And so that game, like the team that came the closest to beating them at home in 2009 was the Fordham Rams. So that is, that is my story. Yeah. How about it. that? Now, when was the last time Fordham has, uh, has beaten Dayton? Yeah. So we talked about this when Charles Little was on last year because he was on one of the teams that, uh, that lost to Fordham. The last loss to the Fordham Rams was January 4th. Uh, 2006. So exactly wow. 15, 15 years to the day that this episode will be released. Been 15 years. That means, Blackburn, that we are almost getting to the point where there will be kids on campus at UD that have never seen the Flyers lose to Fordham. And that's saying something. Or is it? Yeah, I guess it isn't. All right, let's wrap up. <laughs> Final thoughts for the evening. What do you got for the listeners, man? Final thoughts, I, I will say this. One, one of the things I think we're all looking at in the the Mason game was, you know, Mason was a, a pretty good offensive rebounding team, and Dayton really held him in check. Um, I think I think the Patriots got like two, two second-chance points, one bucket the entire game, and that's huge because when Dayton loses this year, I guarantee they're going to give up at least 10 second chance uh, points a game. So that was nice to see that they kind of cracked down on the offensive rebounds, made it a point of emphasis. Um, and yeah, I mean, in, in that game, that certainly would have been the difference if, if Mason did what it usually does on the offensive board. So that was good to see. Yep. And uh, my final thoughts for the evening are just going to be encompassing some of the things that have come across my desk over the last couple of days. First and foremost, we said it once on the show tonight, but there are reasons to uh, look up and be optimistic about the Dayton Flyers program, not the least of which is Mustafa Amzil. We're going to call him the moose on this program moving forward. Um, I really did like that Zimmy kind of inserted himself and was a productive piece in this game. We hadn't seen that yet. Um, but obviously, you know, the Flyers are just going to struggle with their injuries and personnel issues right now. You're already seeing that Chase Johnson is just a huge piece to replace. With that in mind, it's no secret that I've been overly critical of Jalen Crutcher leading up to this point in the season. And I and I I really do feel validated that the criticism was coming from a place where I believe that the player that he can be is the guy that you saw against George Mason, the 26-point Jalen Crutcher, right? Like, that's who he can be. That's who he needs to be for Dayton to win games. And, um, you know, if Dayton wins you know, the next 15 games in a row, could they get an at-large bid? Of course. But they're not going to win 15 games in a row because we've all seen who this Dayton team is. They're going to turn the ball over. They're going to make dumb mistakes. They're probably going to get out-rebounded. And they're going to blow leads. And I mean, just hold on to your butts going down the stretch here because I don't think Dayton's going to win a whole lot of blowouts. Every game's going to be close. But at the end of the day, you, you have to put a lot of these games on the senior leadership. You know, the guys that should be scoring, should be leading, and that have the ball in their hands when the game is on the line. And so I challenge you, Flyer fans, to be critical of Jalen Crutcher yourselves just as a man on the basketball floor because I realize – they're college kids. Okay, I get it. All we're ever talking about is their play between the lines on the basketball floor. And thankfully, like I said earlier with the quick turnaround, the Flyers will be back to being between the lines on the floor 
Early tip-off on Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern at Rose Hill Gym, taking on the Bronx Rams. The rules are very simple when you play the Bronx Rams. You just win, and you get out of there. For Blackburn, I'm Sully. Short episode tonight. We'll catch up with you on Wednesday morning. Ryan Mikesell and Dukes from Barstool is going to be stopping by for all you youngins. I wanted to get a different perspective on the podcast, so looking forward to that episode. Coming at you on Wednesday morning, this talking out loud. You know there's two rules. They're wear red, they're be loud, and we'll catch you next time. Then the stroke's the word